Welcome to Chill Track Friday and to part two of our conversation with Ken Ralston and Ernie Rivas. Uh, If you haven't listened to episode one, please do go back and hear their uh, running history and how they met and started running together. And please enjoy this episode. It's a wonderful story of Boston 1975. By the time I made my last attempt, I was 34 years old. And, um, and, and I ran 222. I ran a whole bunch of sub-230s at that point, but couldn't get the 219 qualifying standard at the time. And, um, and at that time, I also met a wonderful woman, my, my wife, Sharon. And, and, uh, and I made a commitment to myself that uh, after, if I didn't make it in 84 or if I made it, I was going to retire from that level of training. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I did. You know, and and got married, and then I started. I thought my life was kind of, oh God, how am I going to make up my life now? I, I don't have anything, you know. And I did. It, everything worked out. I got a good career. I found my niche, bought a house, got married, had a kid, and all that, and everything turned out to run. But I never stopped running. I still maintain some kind of running, but for fun. And come and because I love to compete. Was so. it hard to draw that line in the sand and say, okay, if this doesn't happen in four years? It's like how conflicting was that, or you were like, no, I just know it. Like if it's not, I, I know how running works. I know how physiology works, and you're yeah. fine with that choice. Yeah, I didn't know much about physiology then. It was really hard, okay. so, and um, and and when I let it go, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. And I still ran for my club, and everything, but it was really hard to talk about it, and I felt like a failure. I had failed. And uh, at my attempt, and I carried that with me for about two decades. And uh, in fact, I was in, uh, when I was about forty. My club did an interview with me because they went, they would go and say, "Well, tell us about your past," you know that kind of thing. And I and I would burst into tears right. because I was a failure. Mm. I thought to myself. And then eventually, you know, I worked it out. I had a kid, and I began to look at him, and. Um, I said, I can't go around thinking I'm a failure. That's going to permeate out of me, you know. So I began to kind of think about it a little bit. And through help with friends and stuff, I, I began to think, well, you know, you, you were very good. You did a good job. You did the best you could. And I tell myself, to the, the way I rationalize it is, I know I tried. Yeah. And I could, and, when I, and I said, that, so you, if you know you tried, you're better off than most people who never tried and wonder. Yeah. So you weren't good enough. That's, but you found that out. Yeah. You never would have known. Yeah. So I knew that, that I did the best I could. I ran really fast. And I just wasn't at that level yeah. to, to make it. And, I, and that's very satisfying to yeah. know that, you know, for some reason. That's beautiful in a way because it probably helps in coaching a lot, right? Like seeing yeah. the athlete. Because we all put our pressure of a number, pressure of the achievement, the placement, whatever it is. We put that on ourselves all yeah. the time. and. As you know from running, it does the, yeah. what the day brings is you it's out of your know. control, and then as yeah. so, I'm sure what you learn, how you came to terms with it, you apply that to your athletes. A I lot. do, yeah. yeah. We talk a lot about what's between the ears, the brain, and uh, I try to keep it positive. I I worry a lot about injury, yeah. and uh, and but I also think that you know um, it's good to dream, yeah. to dream big, and I I only want to coach elite athletes who want to aspire to the highest levels, national championships and 
international championships, but I'm a nobody coach too. I don't really have any credentials like Kenny was talking about. So I'm starting right from scratch, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 I'm just loving that. You know that. Oh, I got to prove myself now. Okay, watch this. So you know, in a year and a half, I got my first athlete into the Olympic trials. That's not an easy thing to do, and I and I and and uh, and I I intend to have more in there, and I and I also intend not to relive my life through them. So when I look at mm. them, I I see Important. them differently, very differently from me, in in many ways. And um, and 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 then my job now is to is to is to help them reach their optimal level. As a, as, a, as a national class runner, let's say. I love your thought process around making sure you don't get hurt, but put in the hard work, but also mm-hmm. work with dreamers who want to dream. It goes yeah. back to your, you haven't lost that for yourself because now you're dreaming of a training Got camp, it. right? And I love that. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get to Boston. There, I, we, there's got to be stories. <laughs> this story oh. time. <laughs> Story time. Story time. So we can yeah, like, yeah. there I, is, yeah. you, you, you brought a book with you, which is the 1975 Boston Marathon um, official computer results book. Uh, they were so proud of themselves because they actually had a computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. The it's Honeywell it's system. The it's, it's got so the funny. old dot matrix printer font inside <laughs> that's got all the results and the front cover is like a cyanotype. All the photographers know what that what, what that is, but it's kind of incredible to just page through this and then there's. We have to go to the page that has the results because I think there's a story here. Yeah. So actually, <laughs> let's just read the results and then let them take it from there. Okay. We went past it. Did we pass it? It's oh, right, right there. Okay. So eighty-one, two twenty-six, forty-eight, Rivas, Ernie, eighty-two, two twenty-six, fifty. Ralston, Kenneth L. <laughs> Over I mean, to you. Let, let me give you a little backdrop here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kenny got it. I, Kenny, Kenny got into marathon running, right? So, so we have been competing a lot against each other on the roads, occasionally on the track. And like I said, Ken, uh, Kenny would would normally beat me mm-hmm. almost ninety nine percent of the time. But the marathon, I would get him. Now. He's going to remind me that he beat me in the first marathon we ever ran in New York. He ran 254, I ran 313. 252. 252. I, I, even, even when I try to lie, he catches me on it. And, um, and, and, but from that point on... That was the New York Marathon in 1972 that we talked about yeah, earlier with the, with the six women sitting down at the start. But at that point, he wasn't, I, he, he, we ran about seven, six or seven marathons, and, and I got him in every single one. And, and, and I'm going to let him tell the Boston one. The, but the one before that was the Boston before that in 74. Yes, my first Boston. I was chasing him along. That's right. That was your first Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was ch- uh, and, I, and, and he had, again, he had been beating me in all races, right? And then we're going up Heartbreak Hill. And I think at Heartbreak Hill is where I caught you. Mm-hmm. And I went on and I think I beat you by, I ran like 232 and you ran 235. Five. Five, and I, I beat him by a couple of minutes and I walked away. Got him. <laughs> got him. Finally, finally got him. You know, and um, and and finally take and, that, bitch. Yeah. And then we raced again yeah. a couple of times, maybe in a few more marathons. I got him in those marathons, but the road races, the short ones, he would get me. And then there was Boston '75, where he actually made a very serious commitment because I think he wanted to. He knew I wanted to break 2:30. And I was only two minutes away, and he was five minutes away, mm-hmm. and um, and then we both trained together, and we lined up at the starting line of the Boston Marathon. 
I know I knew uh, that day for a fact, I'm gonna break 230 that day. And I think you knew it too. So take yeah. it from there. Well, the, <laughs> that was a, at a very interesting place in my life at that point. Mm -hmm. My family had moved up to Rockland County. I stayed in, this, in the Bronx and, and, and took my Irish luggage with me, which was three green hefty bags mm -hmm. with all my stuff in it and brought it down, down the street to my, uh, my uh, friend's apartment, who is now my brother-in-law. Uh, so we lived in this little apartment, uh, actually three-bedroom apartment uh, on Fordham Road. And so I was working as a fuller brush man, <laughs> you know, all commission job. Uh, I was engaged to be married later that year. And so, um, so I, spent, I spent my time selling my brushes and, and mops and cheesy perfumes downtown. <laughs> and I'd spend the rest of the time training. Uh, the place is a memorable hellhole uh, filled with stolen memorabilia, including the cherry top off of a police car, uh, <laughs> a welcome to, to new McDonald's sign that was also in the apartment, et cetera, et cetera. So I was with my brother and a couple of other friends. But we were training and we were doing some really good races and we'd uh, run some really good ones, uh, the, the four miler in under 21 minutes. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, so that was, we were, we were feeling it and in seriously good shape. Um, I would do a run called the Bronx Tour, which would be kind of a five-mile around, ending with the run from Bailey Avenue up Kingsbridge Road to Sedgwick, which is an almost impossible hill. It's, right. it's amazing. You see the buses try to get up, and they're like <laughs> staggering up the hill. And we would run there, and then we'd end it, and, uh, and then run back to Lehman. I was, you know, some, so I was like hill work because... Heartbreak Hills had really crushed me in, in the first Boston. I had no idea of the of the fact that it didn't seem that bad, but it just didn't stop. This relentless stair step, yeah, you know, yeah. thing because and then you lulled into thinking you're running great because Boston is down yeah. and down and or flat most of the way up to that point. So it's kind of a shock to the system when you don't know. Um, so anyway, so we were yeah we were about seven or eight rows back in Boston and and remember no watches yeah. no none of these watches no mile markers so all so in the book they have these depictions of these you know of these uh course reference points uh you know you know so that so this is kind of 7 miles and yeah. this might be 9 miles and this is you know 13 point something People, miles sometimes they wore wristwatches or the stores had clocks on it so if you hit yeah. and the race started at noon the race started at noon yeah at that at that time um that was partly and, and part of the deal was was that the the red Sox always hosted uh, their games at fenway so the patrons would come out at the end of the game and watch the end of the boston marathon yeah and at that time there was about two thousand runners in it and you had to you had to get to 330 to qualify yeah. um my brother was in it i had basically encouraged him to to uh and and we'd run the earth day marathon i think a month before yeah and qualified him you know, wow. um, off of like no training you know and he, did, he, was, he just had, had the gift he was an endurance and, guy from the beginning mm -hmm. from the the game from, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah so so but i felt ready um for me i could i could handle about 50 to 60 miles a week um more than that no, I you know I I felt that was my comfort level, but it was all fast. Mm -hmm. yeah, I you think it was all fast. you know I don't. But again, we didn't know what pace. We just just a lot of run on the aqueduct, you know, mm -hmm. uh, aqueduct trail back and forth, 
and um, and we just got ready. We were in about the seventh or eighth row, and it was a perfect day. It was in the fifties, and there was a tailwind, and there was you know uh, I think it was overcast, and mm-hmm. there was no sun beating beating down on you. That's my memory of yeah, it anyway. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. And um, and so you know my fiance was with me at the starting line, and there's a good picture of us kind of like you know just like all right, this is it. Mm-hmm. And then we took off, and we ran together. We stood you know and and unofficial time at the end of the first mile. 506. <laughs> and just some guy yells, said, you know, one mile, 506. I'm like, oh, oh no. That's oh. really bad. And we, were, sur- and we were surrounded hell? by hundreds of runners. Oh, yeah. 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 We're so in this, you know, so we're not even close to the lead or no. anything. You know, this Nowhere. is, and this is Bill Rogers' breakthrough year. This is when, this is the race that made Bill Rogers famous. So in retrospect, it was, it was kind of a, and he has a great book about that that race yeah. you know so so it's really cool for us to see it because we were part of that mm-hmm. you know and so i don't remember this part but ernie, ernie does where we decided i decided to that it was time to go from ernie we were running together for what five miles maybe? yeah the five mile mark you said to me something like you gotta i i gotta take off i gotta go and I saw you disappear into the crowd, and I said, yeah. I thought we were yeah. going fast enough. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I felt so good. I, I never. I, I was like, oh my god, I feel really good. So um, the you know? and yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I was, so I was running along, and and um, they had this tradition that they would they would actually have the names of all the, all two thousand entrants right in the in the paper, oh, yeah. and people would would check would check your your number and then shout out your name if they were quick enough to figure that but I was actually running with another guy named Ken uh, who was a local guy named Ken Mueller who was uh, who's well known in the Boston area apparently but I, they kept saying go Ken I'm like so I'm so soaking it in you know, and just like rolling with it and everything else I'm like oh this is great I, you know there's a lot of people out there you know who are digging me <laughs> so, I didn't realize I was wow. so famous in Boston Ken from the Bronx you know <laughs> Yankee fan <laughs> so anyway so we're just tooling along and and uh, you know and and I'm I'm with this guy and my my brother and my my sister and and uh, my uh, sister-in-law and my my fiance my wife now are are popping up everywhere yeah. you know my brother apparently was driving like a complete maniac and so we we, we saw them at the about eight miles about seventeen miles and and near the finish line they were at the start too so they were just screaming around you know I don't know how they did it but they did they kept appearing <laughs> <laughs> and, and, they, and they waited and they waited for me he was ahead of me they would they were right. loyal yeah, this is, yeah. yeah go Ken you know then they stayed there and waited for me to go by and mm-hmm. then, you know it was really nice so I so so I hit Heartbreak Hills and this time I, I had said to myself I know Hills. I did it last year <laughs> I, I know I got it down I did Kingsbridge Hills so I'm ready I'm I can handle this hill, you know, and then I could feel myself, you know, starting to lose, starting to lose it. And I have no idea what my half marathon was. I I wish I knew because I think it was about a 108. Wow. Um, It's my best guess. Is that 108, 109, something like that. Um, Again, it's it's kind of a guess, but uh, just projecting off of where we finished. It's possible. And somehow that, so that Ken, uh, that other Ken guy ran 222 that day. And he, so I wound up, you know, so the part coming back down the hill after Heartbreak Hills was, I still, I remember that. I remember the quads, you know, because that is such a quad killer coming back down, you know. But I just, I know I'm still having a good one, but I'm, 
I'm tiring, you know. And so I don't know what's going on behind me because I'm not paying attention. I just want to get to the, to the finish line. And so I rounds. Um, I was up in Boston this past weekend, and it was a thrill to be at the 25-mile point. I actually walked the last mile along Commonwealth, and then there's that little tunnel that goes under, and then, and then, the, then the right turn on, on Hereford Street. And I went back, and I, I, I just I just got the chills, and, and mm. all the memories came flooding back. Wow. And my wife said, you're, you're acting like a kid. You know, I said, well, this is. This is it. This yeah. is one of my greatest memories. Mm-hmm. You know? Because you turn, and then in those days, they didn't have the barriers. The people just right. swelled into the streets, so it's almost like those nuts in the Tour de France. You ever watch yeah, that yes. when they, when they're when you know the, the, when they're in the Pyrenees and they and those nuts are running up and down? It's, it was yeah. almost like that, but the do. way there they, wasn't crowd control right. in the same way. They the, jump in the front barriers. of you and they cheer and then they get out of the way. You know, yeah. <laughs> you just keep you just keep going. You're, it's you, but it's you this, know they're gonna move. It's this you know. cacophony yeah. that's that's just deafening and it's so exciting to be part of it. You know, and I'm flailing. I can feel it. You know, I. I and there's a there's a subtle uphill uh, on here for, as you get onto Boylston. Now there's a convention center, but at that time there wasn't a convention center, so there was kind of a second part to the street, mm-hmm. and that's when you made the turn. And my brother Steve spotted me, and he was screaming, "Go, Ken!" You know, and everything else. So I I, I put the fist up to acknowledge the cheer. Both quads, you know, just just I just cramped in both of them. Oh came down the hill toward the finish line was at the Prue building, not where it is now, it wasn't as far down, and, and, and basically staggered down the last hundred whatever or whatever it was, yeah. only to hear <laughs> and see this guy. <laughs> <laughs> With his superior finishing kick, <laughs> for the first time, quads intact, go form. And and so in hindsight, I would have probably slashed him like a tire if I could have, you know. But I actually said, "Go, Ernie," you, did. you know. Um, and I did because I know I just felt that we had done something really right. amazing, you know. And so I made it to the finish line. And you know, and it, and and afterwards, my family got together. My my sister-in-law said, "Did you beat him?" They, <laughs> they didn't see me standing. Yeah, the yeah. Side. I was like, "Nope." <laughs> um, and then and and then when we got the books a month later, um, I actually lost my copy of this. This is Ernie's copy. He kept it, and he sent it over to me, and I've held on to it ever yeah. since. But but in the pictures in there, there's a picture of of myself at the finishing table. Uh, which is really cool. I met Bill Rogers a month ago and brought the book and said, I, I was in that race. I know. And I PR'd in that race. So he wrote a really, really nice note on it. But Ernie has never let me forget about <laughs> his superior finishing kick. And, and in the neighborhood newspaper up in Tallentine, they said two runners from the area finished, and there was my name and then Kenny's name. And, uh, and I still have that little piece. I'll send oh, it to really? you. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you basket. Yeah. <laughs> my my take on it was as I'm running along, um, I, I I figure I'd catch Kenny. I always catch him in the marathon. You know, I caught him in six other marathons. I'm gonna catch him in this one. And and he and I hit Heartbreak Hill and I said, No Kenny. And I'm starting to panic. You know? <laughs> and I and I see his brothers there and I'm going, Oh great. Mm-hmm. So as I crest the hill and I, and I start heading down, I I was feeling really good. And, and I said, still no Kenny. And then when we hit about three miles to go, this, this guy, Bruce Robinson, who I used to always race and, uh, um, and, who, and who always would beat me, 
by by a little bit caught me and he and I and I said you're not going to get me this time and I and I and I'm battling him and we're running through a funnel of people people are screaming at us and I'm passing Bruce he's passing me and we're doing this for two or three miles I can't breathe anymore I'm like half dead and um, and exhausted now he's really pulling it out of me and I'm pulling it out of him and we get and I'm thinking wait a minute I'm racing where's Kenny (laughs) so anyway I I gotta deal with Bruce so I keep going after Bruce and then with about a quarter mile to go I look up after charging ahead of Bruce and I see Ken's head and I and I went okay I'm going to, I went after him okay, and, and, and Bruce went after me you know and, and and as we turned the corner as Kenny was describing I could see Kenny and I knew I had I maybe it was 50 yards before the finish line I said this is my only chance to get him and I went by him and Bruce went by me and uh, you'll see Bruce's name and there was another guy in between us and uh, and, and I and I and I got Kenny by only by two seconds Oh yeah, yeah. Mark Kushner is the one in between you. So yeah, Bruce yeah. finished in two twenty six forty four. Then you did forty eight. Yeah, and Ken did yeah. fifty. Yeah, Bruce went on later to run about a two seventeen, and and um, in, in his life, yeah. And then Kenny, after that race, Kenny and I went two different ways, which right. is interesting. Yeah, I, I got married that August, um, hottest day of the year, on the campus of Fordham. My wife was a student there, and mm-hmm. uh, and we had the we had the whole thing. Uh, the, there's a chapel on campus and the student center. We wanted to get married in October because I love the fall, and uh, but they wouldn't let, allow us to use the facility during school season. So we got married in the summer. Nine dollars and fifty cents a plate, by the way, um, at the time. Yeah, the, all the hydrants were open, so all the water was gone, and you know, people were. were, were it was hot. Compl- it was like ninety-eight degrees, and then the next day, Ernie and and his uh, his girlfriend went out west, uh, took the car and went out west, and so we. Our lives diverged at that point, um, but 1976 was still in our minds. The 76 trials. Um, Ernie mentioned about you know about being that close. Um, I continued training and got into what I felt was the best shape in my life because we were talking. We were talking all the time, and and I got my mileage up to like a week of about 75, which is to me is about mm-hmm. as much as I can handle. Uh, and then I ran that 30k race in which Bill Rogers set the world record. And I ran a 139. I said, "Oh, I might be able to do this 223," because that was about the pace for definitely. that. You definitely, definitely. Um, but Boston came in 1976, and it was just like my wedding day. It was 98 degrees out. It was. It was. It's known in the historical uh, accounts as the run for the hoses. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. The run for the hoses, uh, 1976. And so, you know, I ran. I, I ran. And in retrospect, I'm proud of myself for having even done it because I hate the heat, yeah. and I, and uh, and I actually had a, a ridiculously uh, filling pancake breakfast, which just <laughs> remained there until about <laughs> last week. Till this day, it's all those pancakes. <laughs> anyway, so and, and they did a two forty six, and I was just wow. you know we tried one more time. Actually, there was a race in Cleveland, and my oh, my, wow. my brother huh. and my wife and my sisters I said, "Let's go," and we actually went. To uh, the Case Western Reserve race, I didn't know that. Jesse Owens was this was, fired the starting gun, wow. and Hugh Sweeney and I remember Hugh Sweeney and I were running together. Try, we both had the same idea. He and I had run, had run together in the 30k also, mm-hmm. uh, and and we said let's go for it. You know, last shot to, to see if we can do it. But about 14 miles in, I remember we were on a road that had this bus that was chugging out fumes. You know, and and, and I just wound up. You know, I just 
pulled off and said, no, I'm just put me on the meat wagon. So, so back then, when you're running at that level, you get to the starting line. We've kind of asked this to three or four different guests. Um, you look at the temperature and you have trained for a certain time. Yeah. Right. What goes through your head at the starting line? You're like, okay, I'm going to go at long run pace. Or how do you, you know, how do you measure? I, I don't, you know, how, kept, how did you measure it back then? I kept trying to fool myself that it wasn't that hot. I kept trying to convince myself and talk myself down from, you know, in, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have even bothered. I would have bailed it and just said, yeah. you know, if I'm going for the specific goal, then let's look for something else probably. Yeah. But Boston's Boston and, yeah. and, you know, my family's up there and it's like, damn it, you know, they're out there out here to support me and I'm going to yeah. do it. And there is a ghastly picture from it. You know, I, I, I do look like, you know, a victim. This, <laughs> you, know, oh, you know, this this scrawny, gaunt guy, you know, with this with this skeletal smile, uh, you know, somewhere around mile 17 or 18. It was brutal, you know, just and then and what was weird, though, was by, by the time we got to Boston, it had it had cooled off and it was in, it was actually in the 60s or 70s at the finish line. It was an, if I remember correctly, wow. you know, it was the weirdest thing. And um you know, but I don't remember any any tactics in my mind, in my brain, other yeah. than just see what you can do. So, for the millennials today, there is a picture of you. You said at the finishing table. What is that? What is a finishing table? <laughs> right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, a bench with some dude sitting there. We were because I, I there was we didn't know what we ran. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's right. We didn't know. We didn't know there was because no there's no clocks yeah. and no. You know, we just we'll try to get a sense of how did I do? We you knew, know? We, I knew I broke 230 that day when I crossed the finish line. I knew I did. But I thought I would have been happy with a 229.59. I, I had no idea it was 226. And I thought, then I, I, as I'm going through the shoot, at Norbert Sanders, you, you've heard of Norby Sanders, the doctor. His wife was standing there and she said to me, you, you ran 228. She said, 228! And I gave her the biggest kiss you can imagine. And, uh, and, uh, I, and, and we looked at each other and I said, 228! And I walked down the thing. And then later we found out. Yeah, you know, yeah it's, the table is just a play. I don't know what we did. They, they take your name. See, we, we, that, was a special, that was yeah. a special day also because Boston at that time, there were no such thing as finishers medals. But they right. had a tradition of giving the top 35 people a special Boston medal. Only the top 35 got it. That year in '75, they said, "Let's because now they had 2,000 people, and that's that was considered like outrageous." Huge. They said, "Let let's <clears throat> let's give it to the top 100." So we got the Boston. We have something in common. Yeah. We got those. Bo- we have Mine the Boston hangs on my top wall. hundred, and, and that's not a finisher's medal. That's for the top hundred. Yeah, and I said, and I. And, it's not a and, gimme medal. Yeah, and when I go to race, yeah. when I used to go to races back then, I never took the finisher's medal. Nah, I don't want that thing. You know, I wanted the medal for placing. Yeah. You know, and so I never took it. Yeah. You know, and uh, or I took it and I gave it away to somebody. <laughs> to to capture the depth of all this, um, two thousand runners, about almost nine hundred broke three hours. Which is astounding, yeah. you know, and you, the quality of, of the field. My brother ran uh, 322, Mark, and he, uh, you know, so he did great. Um, yeah, I, I took one more crack at marathoning um, in 1979. Um, uh, Dave King and I 
uh, mm-hmm. did did crazy repeat hill hill workouts in in uh, by on Fieldston Road, and we had these lunatic workouts that we would do. Um, Define crazy and lunatic. Yeah. Quarter milers up uh, up down and up sets of three, mm-hmm. uh, up as fast as we can, rest thirty seconds down. And the times were in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and we were flying awesome. and Dave's really fast. So that was uh, so so that was a great training for it. So felt pretty good, pretty ready. Um, went to Boston and uh, rainy day. And I, my, my biggest memories being Heartbreak Hills. And this time it wasn't Ernie who passed me. It was some woman. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Exactly. Exactly. We remember. You know. Remember in those da- in those days. You know. And it was Joan Benoit. Ah. Uh. Joan Benoit. It was, it was her That's first. Okay. Her first Boston win. So I've been in two of the most memorable Bostons. The one that Bill, in which Bill Rogers became famous, and the breakthrough for Joan Benoit, and the depth of, of the fields had had changed so much by then. I ran a two thirty eight. And was 653rd, uh-huh. you know, which is um, I. So I don't even know how many people were under three hours in that race. Probably a couple of thousand. But within a but, few years, that's not yeah. too far apart. Right, yeah. 79. Four years later. Wow. So this, so this boom had really was really hitting home. Um, yeah. yeah, well, it started with Frank Shorter's win in uh, in 72. Munich in 1972 in the 1972 Olympics. And so the growth and the interest in marathoning really took off from that point. So we were kind of in that. Kind of first wave. Guy, guys like like me were a dime a dozen back then. You yeah. ran at like a 221. You know, I could walk into a race, into any quality race, and people go, big deal. You yeah. know, we, we were a dime a dozen. You ran 225, oh, you better go in the back. You know, we were really a dime a dozen. But if we ran 226s now oh, in New York it. or Boston, we'd be in like the top 30. Yeah, it's we didn't. So already. It's amazing. So that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, can can right? we talk about that a little bit? Like how it's kind of. Well, marathoning has become a beast of a machine, right? And it keeps feeding every year. All these majors are getting bigger. They're even the half half marathons become big too, like yeah. Brooklyn yeah, and I see like they're just they're changing the course to accommodate more runners all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's, in, it's, speaking of the marathon, like how has it changed from what you when you were there and for the better? Well, it's an everyman race. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still aspirational for the average person, but it's not so aspirational that that. Right, because there's thousands and fifty thousand people in New York every year, fifty thousand in London, sponsorship like crazy because there's a whole corporatization going on, uh, all of that, um, and it's a bucket list thing for many people. Um, it's a different entity altogether. Um, I, I for a long time I was contemptuous of it, um, and pretty arrogant, you know, for, from being where I came from. I mean, my, my, one of my biggest regrets is dropping out of New York in, I think it was 1979 or yeah, 80. Yeah, um, and I was on, on on pace for about a 238, 240 race, but it wasn't going to be a PR, so I, so I, I bailed uh, on first half. Uh, maybe, yeah. but the point is is that I stopped. and I, I, I regret it to this day because I've never done a complete New York marathon in its current course. Mm. Okay, so in hindsight, I was like, "What the hell are you thinking?" But, yeah. but I had that kind of, you know, arrogance. Uh, but I was a sub elite, I suppose, or you mm. know, you know, in the good, good to very good yeah. vein. 
But again, almost almost dime a dozen if if you're really looking at it. Yeah. But now it's very different. Yes, yeah, if they tell somebody a time now and they're like, what? You know, so yeah. it's so it's just a different framework for it. It's like the older we get, the better we were. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like but it's being reinforced by by people yeah. telling you that. Mm. You know, so. but, I, but I did a, a whole study uh, uh, on 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 the Olympic trials. I looked at various for de- for the last since going back to to my 1972 to the into the into to the present, and I saw that when the money came in, prize money came in, Americans got slower. I don't know why, but they got slower. Now that was also the time when soccer was becoming very popular in the United States, so a lot of kids were being funneled into soccer. So, um, but I remember, you know, 72, 76 trials, and in the 80 trials, no money, fast times. Mm-hmm. 84, money came in, prize money came in, times got slower. 212, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and 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 our and we hit a down a real yeah. bottoming real out tough. in the in the 90s. We didn't even have one American male or female qualify, meet the qualifying standard for the Olympic marathon, let alone the five and ten thousand on the track. Then it, there was an awakening that happening that happened in the early two thousands, and um, and and um, and then coaches started American coaches started to appear, mm-hmm. and shoe sponsors started to sponsor these guys and gals, and uh, and it was trial and error. And, but eventually some of these coaches rose to they looked at what the Africans were doing and they started to rise to that level of coaching and, uh, and today I think we have we're kind of back mm-hmm. you know we're kind of back to that level but mm-hmm. with the fact that we have a, a, a Boston Marathon and we hope an American can come in the top 10 and maybe an American can win it you know I, I have to live with that I, I would prefer to see an American win it you know but uh, but that's not the reality but the the beauty of it is that you have more people being active. The collective. Yeah. Effect. So I look at that and I go, okay, well, there is an upside to this, Ernie. Get over it. <laughs> you know? And it's admirable. Now, having run what, what we ran, it's admirable to me for somebody to be out there for five, six hours Jeez. doing this. I'm like, oh, my God, I can yes. never do that. My brother. But they, you know, that's another kind of toughness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, to be able to do that. So when I go to, to see my brother, who's a marathon runner, he's about my age in his late sixties. He he likes he got into marathon running for fun. Mm-hmm. So when I go over to his house in Pensacola, Florida, he loves to go into the closet and grab a handful of those participating medals and <laughs> put them in my face, and they all tingle, tingle, tingle. Yeah, and, my door and his medals are like that big, and my championship medal for the nationals is like oh, that really? big. That's you know? great. Little, but yeah, I, so I cherish great. that. I, don't yeah. know I can't read the design on it, but I, but I cherish that <laughs> so medal. So wearing off slowly. Yeah, but he's dangling those. And I look at him and I go, well, you know, he wouldn't be exercising and he wouldn't be in good health if he wasn't doing what he was doing. So yeah. I've had to kind of come to terms with that a little bit. Yeah. But I have no interest in coaching fun runners and you know I just know I want the elite so so <laughs> I've got a dream yeah. yes speaking of the elite and the Olympic marathon trials we have a local woman who's 40 and she just qualified she wow. just met the qualifying standard in Rotterdam wow. she ran a 229 oh, nice. Roberta right. Groner yeah, yeah. Well, we're hoping to get her on the podcast oh, yeah, oh, she yeah. Might be a I've been following her for a couple of years she her first marathon I think was a 312 and she's just been coming down and down. down and down yeah. Just for her. We're yeah. going to be in Atlanta uh, yeah. for the oh, trials. Cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, 
his runners in it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I want him yeah. there. I want him there. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll have a great time. And um, it's a very different animal, though, with the, with the Olympic qualifying setup. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. it used to be top three. That's it. But now you have to meet that, and it's going to be a tough course too. It's yeah, a very tough, tough course. Yeah. My my, course my runner Sarah before. is running, literally, um, probably about a about a thousand feet in, in, in elevation every day. Mm-hmm. She runs ten miles, is at least nine hundred feet of uphill because she's getting ready for that mm-hmm. that that course. It's not a time course; it's a place course, a place course. and strategic. Mm-hmm. So, who's going to survive? You know all the you know the, all those hills in Atlanta. And uh, so she's getting ready for it, and she's doing the hills. So we'll see. And she's very strong. Very, she's like she's maybe like a, go you know five feet tall, but she can really uh, pack a wallop when she gets going. And uh, so I'm kind of hoping she'll do really finish in the top hundred or something there. So one um, when we wrap up our podcast, we usually ask our guests to offer a training tip. If you had like one overall training tip for our listeners who mm. are so this, this will be a bonus. They get yeah. two, one from each. They get two. <laughs> Plus all the other tips. <laughs> yeah, I got one. So in addition to doing heavy mileage, you, you have to also stress the body uh, and, uh, and the, the, the anaerobic side of it. So one of my, my favorite, favorite workouts was uh, nine miles in the morning at six-minute pace. This is on top of a 100-mile week, right? nine minute pace and then in the afternoon I would come to the track and I'd run uh, uh, 20 quarters on the track 2400 meters on the track with a hundred meter recovery between each and I try to average 72 mm-hmm. seconds if I did that I knew I could run in the low 220s I gotta give you one more another one was that I would sometimes run to a race I'd run 10 11 miles to a race change into my racing shoes run the 5k or 10k all out put on my training shoes and run 10 or 11 miles back home. If I could do that four weeks before a marathon, I knew, I, again, I was gonna run in the low 220s that day. So people can take kind of that kind of stuff and translate to a percentage of time, whatever they're running, right? Like, But using that as an approach, run to a race, run it all out, possibly run back, you're adding um, you're bookending on both sides a lot of tired legs and you're stressing the body yeah you're basically then, adding a lot of stress then you have to run easy after a workout like that you have to you can still do high mileage but you have to run easy to let the body recover so you work the aerobic system not the anaerobic system at that point i think that's something that i also have had a hard time coming to terms with is the idea of running easy and what that means yeah. Yeah. and that you have to rest but you don't need to not run if you yeah. don't if you don't if you don't run easy for two or three days after a workout like that, you might as well not run at all and just sit on the couch and eat potato chips. <laughs> you know, because you're you're you're, cause you're hurting you're you're hurting your body. Yeah, yeah, it's too you're much stress. You're not gonna get the full yeah. recovery. So, um, my takeaway on that is is to enjoy it. Um, I think there comes a point, and I can see it with the runners on in the club, where it's starting to feel like a job, and. It can never you never want to get there then then that's when it's time to back off um, whether it's in the way you're approaching the workout itself or what you're doing with yourself um, I do have a hard time wrapping my my arms around uh, you know piling marathons on top of each other um, and it takes a special breed to be able to do that and in my in my mind kind of get away with it um, because you're you're trashing your body when you go that hard um, so to Ernie's point about resting, um, especially as we get um, more mature, 
older, <laughs> then, then resting is, is crucial. Um, and to end what, to what you said before about not knowing how slow is slow, um, you know, the whole the whole point is right with all the gadgets we have now resting heart with the heart rate monitoring and all that you can actually try to try to purposely keep yourself uh, to enjoy it and just go easy and that that is a benefit to that i think in the in the time frame that most folks have who are working you, they, you get this feeling that you have to kind of go at it hard each time and the hardest lesson to to say is you know take it easy um that's like when glenn and i are at the track <laughs> And I'm like, pace yourself, and Clint going, saying, go, 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 yeah. you know. So, so there's the balance of of going after it. Um, I've become a fan of progression running, and I'm trying to work that more and more into the track workouts, um, because if I say 10k pace, that doesn't really resonate, because people, you know, you have to kind of put your arms around. Well, what does that mean? It's just like, take it easy, do the first set at this, and then just try to get better with each time. Um, the enjoyment of, of, of coaching the, the Tuesday night sessions is is it's a, the one block where there's people together kind of challenging themselves in a different way and out of their comfort zones. A lot of people don't have a comfort zone with the track at all. And so this is, you know, as I said earlier, that's the truth on the track. But at the same time, you can test yourself and do what you're doing the rest of the week. And, you know, tempos are good and the long run is good. And that whole maximum of those types of balances is, is an important thing. But But at the core... When it becomes a job, back off. <laughs> That's great advice. I just have one more sort of selfishly induced question. <laughs> Bonus training tip. Um, I am coming out of an injury, and we have some close friends who are listeners who are also coming out of injuries. Do you have any advice? You both have so much experience. Do you have any advice for people coming out of injuries, like how to deal with the mental side, also being below the fitness level you might want to be at, all those things? Yeah, take, take your time coming back. Um, don't uh, run easy for it depends on how severe the injury was but if it's taking you out for a couple of months you probably need a couple of months to come back so you you, you start off with low mileage uh, very easy pace to test out the body to see if, if the injury uh, can take it and then you just gradually increase it maybe five percent a week you'll be back up to if, if, if the injury is truly gone you'll be back to full mileage probably within a month or two or three and uh and then take it from there in terms of intensity but don't do too much intensity uh, during that period just get the mileage back up first and don't be afraid to take a day off and things like that you know if you need to i think uh, younger runners suffer from the fact that it's a very uh tunnel vision view of 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 oh my god this is the worst thing in the world and i'm hurt and i you know and i'm so angry and upset i've trained hard generally and then you get hurt um yeah. and so we're in our 60s now and still running uh albeit a lot more slowly but there's still an enjoyment in it and even when there's injuries you're going to recover and you're going to be back at this it's just maybe you know six months down the road it might be whatever it is down the road but but give yourself the, the longer view of, of, of being able to look at this and enjoy it for what it was. Uh, when I was in my 30s, I did a lot of running on the road. It was kind of post-glory years, um, but got constantly injured, constant calf injuries. 
And then uh, Dave, Dave King dragged me down to uh, Van Cortland and, and started doing the trail running again and saw what a difference it was right. to be on the trails yeah. as opposed to yeah. roads. Yeah, and so how much, you know, the old golf, drop a golf uh, ball thing on the yeah. ground and mm-hmm. pops yeah. all the way up and, and it lands on dirt, you know, yeah. it, it barely yeah. bounces at all. So all that impact absorption over the years yeah. does add up to adding run, years to your running life. Yeah. California, so. trails are readily available where I live. That's they're nice. actual trails. Yeah, yeah they're actual trails. Nice. Not yeah. pretend trails that are harder. <laughs> paved. Exactly yeah. with dirt thrown. It's not a trail. I know. It's the same concrete you used. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, dirt on the concrete. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you guys You're so welcome. much. What a treat. Wow. Yeah. I did. Thank you for being here. I think this is going to be an amazing episode yeah. for everyone to listen this to. This is hell of an edit job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We might That's just much, uh, yeah. split it. It's about two hours. We just split it down the middle and be like, guys, listen to it in two parts on your long runs yeah. if you want. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really cool. Yeah. Hosting yeah. Us. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, everyone. See you next week. Bye.